which is brought to you by Field Sports Press. Today we are focusing on the 4th of October issue. I can't believe that we have arrived at October already. This is the first issue in seven years that isn't edited by me. Uh, I was at it for seven years. Ollie Harvey, my successor, has been at it for a week. Um, So I've been flicking through what I suppose is his issue. And I'm joined today by Leon Chalice Davis, who I've known now for quite a long time. Leon, how do you, you are a chef. Everyone just calls you Leon the chef. But the British Game Assurance is your home at the moment. How did you, how did you get into this crazy uh, world? Uh, you're right. I've, I've been a chef for, I want to say about 20, 23 years. Um, and how old are you? I always think you're younger than you actually are. You're sort of. I, 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 I'm nearly forty. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I, I'm not quite forty, but I'm not far away from forty. And I'm that in between, in between age. Yeah, I, I, I've got. A, I'm a lover of food. All food. Everyone knows that. Um, I absolutely love working with game. Is um, is my top tier. Um, and I'm going to touch on that subject. So game, I'm going to start to referring to as wild meat. So Patrick, if we if we both can correct each other, let's let's talk about that in due course because I have a uh, I have a, I have a slight issue with the the wild meat uh, <laughs> conundrum. Before we get there, let's hit up some of the news pages. Um, there was a very interesting one, Leon, that I think will probably chime with you on uh, myxomatosis. So myxomatosis is an ongoing thing in the UK. You know, I think we've all known rabbit populations that have sort of come and gone because of myxomatosis. Um, but there have been a number of myxomatosis outbreaks across the UK um, over the past couple of weeks. And there have been reports of uh, up to 100 rabbits just lying there in the field dead, which is which is pretty interesting. Um, now, Leon, what I wanted to ask you is how our relationship with rabbit has changed. Um, because, you know, it was something that people ate a lot of. And now, I mean, I see it, actually, I live in a very diverse part of London, and I see it for sale around here. But it's not something that you see for sale in the way you once did. Now, why why is that? We've we've all changed perception. And, and without attacking the, the supermarkets and the uh, conglomerates, we've that's what we're used to now. We're used to bland, plain, straightforward food, chickens that have been injected with, with a water salt solution, um, beef that's not really beefy, if you understand that sort of comment, um, and, and the same for lamb and pork, a very, you know, very plain flavours. Uh, that flavouring is gone, and, and wild meat has got a flavor to it. it's got a taste it's tastes exactly what it is and i think people are like oh that's a bit too much for me so that's yeah. why you see rabbit and 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 uh and get you know, wild meat sort of disappearing off the off the shelves as more off the tables as much as um as you really want to um that's what i would say um, that's really interesting there was another one moving from rabbit to deer um, there's a plan to classify japanese seeker deer as an invasive species across Europe. Now, this is a very interesting one. Mm. Uh, have you cooked much with Sika before, Leon? Yeah, I have. I've been very lucky, um, and we've got a we've got a small um, and the figures are even in the in the uh, article as well. About eleven thousand, they they said head of uh, Sika deer in the UK, which is which is quite a high number. And I think uh, there's said to be twenty thousand in Ireland, which is that which is a lot. Yes. That's a lot. That's a lot, right? And we, we, you know, we do get we do get a chance to to use seeker deer. And do you know what? It's, I think it's a beautiful um, meat to eat. Um, and 
I mean, Patrick, what, I mean, what do you think? I mean, for me, putting on the evasive species list is, is a big, big step for, for someone maybe who's made that call with not being boots on the ground. Is that, is that well, what it's... I just think I just think the really interesting thing is that, you know, there's maybe a perception among some that those who hunt don't kind of love wild animals dearly in the same way that sort of, you know, other people might, right? The people who sit down and watch Springwatch and so on. But we've got Will Amara quoted here, who's a very good ST contributor, actually. He's a real favourite of mine who lives in the Wicklow Mountains. Um, and he was saying that, you know, he just thinks with Seeker that if we reclassify them effectively as vermin and shoot them year round, we lose respect for them. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a species that he really loves. And to him, you know, they've been here for 150 years, or I should say they've been there for 150 years. Um, you know, so, so to do that to them, as it were, he thinks would be completely wrong. So you've got this interesting thing where conservationists are kind of baying for seeker blood and people like Will Amara, um, you know, a force of the ground guy yeah, that's wearing yeah. is saying, no, we've got, to, we've got to look after these things and we've got to love them. And that and that's that right there it just goes to show what what happens in our industry week in and week out with people who work uh, amongst it and and people who don't um, calling for blood like you said they, they, who've got no clue about what what goes on in our industry. We'll we'll keep an eye on that one. It's really uh, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, there were similar conversations going on here with deer actually uh, with 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 red stags and and the season for those is, is something we've touched on quite a bit over the past few months. There's a very interesting thing, Leon, that I think will chime with you, which is that various game dealers are struggling to find people to pluck their pheasants this this, this season. So if anybody's listening uh, and they fancy a little bit of work as a, as a pheasant, pheasant plucker. Pheasant plucker. Is that, is, that, is, that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, the guild, the guild of pheasant pluckers. Then do do get in touch. But, um, I mean, is that is that actually a problem, Leon? I mean, look, we all know that it's it's hard to shift game if you're a shoot. Is, is part of the issue that game dealers can't find people to actually do the work? From my understanding and, and working with game dealers for, I mean, really closely uh, the last sort of four or five years is that, um, and I have to I have to talk about chicken for a second because the way that we process chicken is that they go through the system and the belts and everything else. They're hung upside down and dipped and 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 they're plucked very very quickly and easily. And and the problem that we have is that um, birds are stored in fridges. Um, they come in. They can come into dealers stiff uh, with rigor mortis um and that makes it even harder um and then it's the the process that you do it so you've got machines that you can put a bird in and it sort of takes the feathers off it by knocking it around with a, a rubber uh, ends on which is, i think is very kind of like a um household type plucking machine but you're right. sort of commercial feather suckers um and wax dip um i'm guessing and it's a costly process for for game dealers to uh, process cold birds, um, so I think that's more their their problem is, is is the cost of it. So we we all know that we can get free birds up and down the country. It's quite a contentious thing, actually. We all know we can get free birds up and down the country when we're when we're we're out shooting ourselves, and and people give them away on various websites, which I've seen on social media, um, and then and then you know people sort of begrudging wanting to pay. But, you know, the reality is that there are people who aren't in our industry that want to get their hands on on uh, wild meat and uh, 
you have to pluck them in in the right fashion so that you know they're not put off yeah let's get back to that point actually there was just one story that i wanted to touch on just before we went back to game which is that um parazzi shotguns has found a, a new distributor now those of you who read ST regularly will have seen, you know, the likes of Tom Payne shooting with a Parazzi. Um, I, I don't know if you're, a, if you're a gun nerd, Leon. I'm not really. But I have to say, I have shot with Tom's Parazzi. And it is a really nice, you know, they're expensive, but but they're sort of... I'm very lucky enough to shot with Tom and shot his Parazzi's. They're you... almost like expensive workhorses, I almost think. So they, you know, there's no, you know, they're not, they don't look fancy, but they feel just just really spot on. Um, and they now have a new distributor in the UK. So I think I've always looked at Parazzi and thought, you know what, that should be like one of the most popular guns going. But it's kind of remained a bit of a connoisseur's choice and, and perhaps something shot by kind of very keen clay shots and a few game shots. So I think it's just going to be really interesting. Um, the new distributor is headed up by Mark Swift, um, who's a real industry veteran. So it's just going to be fascinating over the next couple of years to see what he manages to achieve with that. What do you uh, what do you shoot with Leon? Are you a um, I'm, you... A, <laughs> I'm a Browning man. <laughs> oh really? You're a Browning. I'm a Browning. Man. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually a small bore man. I say small bore. Um, I've been saying it for a few years. I shoot with the twenty Browning, and I have done now for eight years, nine years. Um, and I just find it absolutely brilliant like it's so much fun i was actually so, having an argument the other day with tom payne about 20 balls i mean i think there's a lot to be said for them there's a lot to be said for something that's light that you can wander around with put a lot of cartridges in your pocket but he uh he he disagreed and he does know a hell of a lot more than i do actually about shooting but <laughs> right. don't let him know that don't let him know that there was a, a very interesting column in this week's issue by louisa clutterbuck louisa writes a, a column for us each month on on you know promoting games so so the british game assurance do you want us to just just give us a a sentence or two on the british game assurance leon and what the? i, I will i was i was going to go into a bit more detail so there's going to be there's quite a few changes happening at, at the bga and changes for the for the for the good and really i'm super excited for um but yeah the, we, we, you know we're a um a assurance scheme um which is to uh enable us to have more traceability on our on our game birds um which is ideal and and you'll know this from loads of conversations we've had before patrick about a traceability and an assurance you know the, the the days of knocking at the back door of the local pub are gone um unfortunately for that local pub it's not no fault of of, of the pubs or anyone's like that it's it's environmental health organization the the your eho officers and your food hygiene are really coming down on kitchens and 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 their basically forms of traceability and quality within that kitchen and, and that's why there needs to be an assurance chain because that you have full traceability and then you know any problems go back to all you know there's there's a full line of of that assurance which is which is so key right now especially in today's in today's times one of one of the things that louisa talks about this week and that you guys are actually really strong on i often see on Instagram and so on, that you've been kind of all over the country and that you're then kind of reporting back on that. And the content's really strong that you put out on, on social media. But she, she was saying, you know, social media is really key in terms of what you guys are trying to do. Oh, I, I really do agree strongly with that. And the reason for that is, is, is again, it was a, I, I was listening to something recently as another podcast, I won't say who, and um, they were talking about the younger generation. And yeah. That, 
where what we need to do, foolproof the future, right? So we're foolproofing the future, and that is the younger generation understanding what wild meat game is um, and and wanting to use it and eat it more regularly, um, you know, and, and that's the key. Social media is so big. I mean, we're talking about one video can go viral in 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 the space of a few hours, not days anymore. It's a few hours, and we can get millions of likes on videos. I mean, and some of the stuff on there is absolute dross, but some of the stuff is really informative, and and it does capture the nation or the the, the country, the world, uh, and really focus and pinpoint issues potentially, and and also bring positivity out. So, do you know what? Social media is a massive tool. Just unpacking that a bit. I mean, social media is. is- is very important but but i mean social media is important in terms of what is it important in terms of changing the, the culture that we have around yes eating, right that is that is that where we go wrong in terms uh, of yes. trying to capture and engage those people who not necessarily would look up and have a conversation with someone who was, in, was within our industry that you could talk about using wild meat game you know whatever they do working dogs whatever it is um so yeah that's why i feel yeah it is it is important what we need to do really to get more people eating game is to sort of try and, you know, try and change the, the food culture that we have in this country to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I've been quoted several times, gone are the days of whole roasted birds, right? I mean, we've got to look at um, innovative ideas. And I say that everyone has done everything. We know that sausages work. We know that burgers work. We, we've we've had them. We've tried them. Pies are hugely popular throughout our industry and beyond. Um, but things like getting these um, really hip high street chains involved. Yeah. So, how, how easy is it to do that? Are they receptive to uh, it, 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 Do you know what? It's one of the hardest things. I've been doing it for five years, and it, it's extremely hard. But we are making headspace. A lot of a lot of a lot of way uh, in the last few months, especially. Um, I mean, I've, I've just been talking to Louisa this afternoon. I've got so much um, exciting news that we can't publish yet, but it does show where the levy is going and what we're doing and the new incentive that's to come out, which is uh, our back British game incentive. And you, every, everyone will be involved in this one. So this is quite a new thing, um, Patrick, which is, um, back British Game, which is an incentive that we're launching, um, which will be funding the promotion of wild meat. Um, and that's what we need from our community um, to, to back that that campaign. And from that, I will be able to then go to these places like the high streets and, and start getting them on. We're work, we, we've got some really good stuff coming up. I just can't talk about it right now, <laughs> but it's really exciting. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a point that Louisa makes, which is a really interesting one. She says... Last week, we shared a video of breasting a partridge and then turning it into a sandwich similar to the one seen in Pret. Uh, the response was fantastic, right? The, the obvious question that that leads to is how do we actually get partridge sandwiches into Pret? I mean, how, what, what sort of process? Is that like... Is that like the, the, the process is so intense. So, so one, they will have... Pret will probably have a deal with their local... Um, food supplier um of which they buy the, the majority of their let's say meat but it might be a, a job lot it might be a breaks or a bid food or a, a reynolds of the world these companies i'm just talking about are really large um food suppliers within the uk they're they're huge um i mean you know reynolds is a 250 million pound business and breaks and bid food are are far far beyond that um and 
they would have a deal with them. And, and it would be almost down to Pret having a development team and looking at the possibilities of, of will it fit and a remit. And unfortunately, sometimes it's about opinion. And those people who work within that business's opinion. Um, but once you start telling the sustainable story, once you start talking about Brit backing the British countryside or back British farming, back British game, people start getting involved. Sustainability now start people start listening. So one, you know, one of the key factors I'm I'm talking to a the UK's biggest, let's just say caterer in the UK, they approached us wanting to talk about the sustainability side of it they're seeing a huge food culture shift of people looking for sustainable food um so you know we've seen a huge drop in vegan um food now in retail it's 30 percent in the last few months so that's a huge drop wow, in wow. Yeah, that, that's documented 30%, I mean, what, like a 30% decline in people buying vegan options? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're talking about 30%, people start going, oh, that's loads, but, you know, vegan actually only makes up, I think, and I want to say around about 25 to 3% of food sales in the UK. So 30% of that has, has dropped of that that 2.5% or 3%. So well, why do you think that is? I mean, is veganism going out of fashion? Do you know what? Everyone said veganism is the way forward, right? And And everyone jumped on this bandwagon and people, and then, you know, people started going, well, I can't really get much vegan food. And then, and then, and then we came up with what the last two, three, three years we've had this big explosion on vegan bacon, vegan burgers, vegan things that look like meat but taste like meat but not our meat. I mean, that's that's not right, okay? In my opinion, it doesn't taste nice at all. Um, I had some three D printed steak uh, um, a few months ago. Bloody awful. Um, so let's just let's can that one. Let's can that one and stick a pin in it. Um, I, I think it's because people are are um, finding contradictory terms across the internet when people start spouting about vegan and you know soya and avocados, and then you've got the fantastic Jeremy Clarkson saying, "Well, I can run a what was it a Peugeot three hundred six for a year, and by the time that avocado has been brought over to the country, it was something along those lines, wasn't it?" Um, in Clarkson's farm. There was a piece uh, I really enjoyed in this week's issue by Simon Garnham in the Jottings for Wildfowlers column. Um, and he talks about whether wildfowling is slightly kind of going out of fashion or, I mean, one thing that I always find is when we put wildfowling on the front of the magazine, people people really go for it. Like the, the, the sales figures go right up. But I don't think that everybody buying the magazine that week is a wildfowler, right? But it appeals to them in some way. So you know, I think the thing that's happening there is that is that it's it's this like image, it's this sense, it's this culture they go for. Do you think with food we're sort of getting to that point as well, where this notion of the wild and and kind of connecting with um, you know wild places is that like inspiring people's food choices in a way that it hasn't before? I am going to say I've I've been very lucky enough to go out with Simon. Um, oh really? Yeah, and I did I did a piece for you guys um, a couple of months ago now. Uh, yeah, I think I got up at like one o'clock in the morning. I was at Simon's by four a.m. and we we were out on um, out wildfowling. And I can honestly say it was probably one of my best days shooting in 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 the last ten fifteen years. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't get much, but we just had a fantastic morning. Um, I was more in awe of the the, the 
the scenery and and yeah. the tranquility of how quiet and calm it was before everything came in. So, did you cook what you? Yeah, we did. We had breakfast that morning because it was so early. <laughs> we were starving yeah. by the time we got back. So we we we, we got a couple of um. We, Got a couple of widgeon, teal, um, and mallard, and 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 I did a breakfast. Um, my take on on breakfast. So you got your classic steak and eggs. I mean, go away with that. I'm not I'm not really into to that anymore. But we had teal, widgeon, and and mallard with eggs. Um, some some beautiful um confit potatoes and uh, some spinach. Um, and then I did a bit of um piri piri over the top of the eggs as well, just to give it a little bit of a kick first thing in the morning. So yeah, it was absolutely phenomenal. And obviously, I mean, what you're what you're shooting there is completely wild. And then you saying that people are it's a dying art. I mean, it's it's easy to say that maybe because he's not seeing as many people out. I mean, he whilst we were out on the bank, he talked about wild fowling clubs and and the amount of people in those wild fowling clubs and everything on on the banks that when we were talking. And and I'm guessing maybe he's seeing a, um, a decline in that which would then that would make you think but isn't that to, for me isn't that to do with age patrick you know isn't that like the age of the wildfowlers a bit older than your like you know might, might i mean the question that i wanted to ask is is that you know when you're you're i mean that stuff you were eating was completely wild do you think the notion of eating completely wild food appeals to the public i mean when people are buying meat do they will they buy venison because it's completely wild and because there's a solution oh, yeah absolutely what you know why not roll back roll back to the to the 50s 60s where people had their own veg gardens and 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 grew their own vegetables that the meat was hand reared locally with you know within a five mile radius milk was delivered from the local dairy there were bakers making fresh bed you know all of it is just proper food and and you know what you know i talk about it the old the generation a couple of generations uh, 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 before me are, are still wanting that and they're telling their you know, our generation, that's what they need. So then we start to revert to all the trends and those trends being, well, it's wild, it's sustainable, it's within our environment. Why aren't we eating off the pastures? And I think that's the kind of, you know, idea of it, maybe. That's really interesting. So you think like, you know, the, the general shopping public, the meat buying public do kind of do get that. And are yeah, I'm, you know, I I go to a fantastic butcher nearby um, and I see the same faces every week who who swear by good quality meat uh, and, and i mean i'm i'm very lucky when i'm not eating game that i do get really good hand reared quality meat and i think that's what everyone's really looking for right but of ease and convenience we dart into waitrose and sainsbury's and marks and spencers morrison's because it's there's a there's one on every corner um yeah. and i and, and and what what you know again we would probably sell more wild meat game if we probably had more of the butchers and and the bakers of the world making pies and that locally than we've, we've ever done personally you know when, when you've got that access to it because it's hard to find right in field sports you know, you are probably a bit of a you know there's a perception that field sports is totally white right yeah and you are i mean you're 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 a black guy from birmingham uh well i wouldn't say birmingham but yeah the, my 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 roots as such my my father is uh, a caribbean uh, west indian caribbean um so he's jamaican um and he's from the midlands uh and his his my grandparents are windrush generation right um, right so 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 yes um and do you feel i mean you know i think it's it's sometimes almost a stick that's actually used to sort of 
beat field sports with that it's this kind of you know cabal of crusty old white guys i mean look tell me yeah, that's that's still true it, it is <laughs> no i mean no no, no 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 it's crusty old white guys um yeah no look it's a hugely inclusive industry okay because i'm in it and um i've not had a single problem um, and and do, do we you know do we add women to this as well? And we say yeah, they're inclusive as well. There's so many more women out shooting than than ever before. Um, so it's a hugely inclusive industry. Where do we fail? Um, I tell you where we fail. From my opinion, um, there are some phenomenal people within our industry. Uh, you know, uh, Aaron Kennedy, uh, the Rainbow Farmer. Um, you, you, you've got Al Gabriel. You know, working for Basque. Um, there's the, um, the Kenyan pig farmer. Um, you know, there are some there's some really cool people out there doing some stuff. Um, who I would consider black is that the right thing to say? Mixed mixed heritage. Let <laughs> me say, um, and. And it's hugely inclusive, um, but we are we're failing on on adding to those ranks. I mean, I was I was with a young um, mixed race guy the other day. He was just talking to me about how he feels in the countryside, and when he goes out into the countryside, he was saying he you know, he doesn't always feel totally welcome. He feels as though sometimes people look at him and think, oh, "What on earth is?" I can't tell you of the stories. I cannot air the stories I've had of my experiences. I lived in Somerset, rural Somerset, for. For ten years of my uh, catering career, on and off. So I, I dipped in for two, two, three years, and dipped out for a year, and then dipped back in. Working in some phenomenal um, establishments down there, and you know, my first experiences, yeah, they weren't welcoming at all. Um, and there is this kind of they they are quite remote, cut off, and they they do kind of you know look at you going, yeah, does he is he going to speak English to me? Is it going to be a foreign language? You know, we're not quite sure. And it sounds very desperate, but it, it, it is actually true. I mean, listen, I've experienced it. Do you think, though, that the shooting community, sort of separate from that, if you can separate the two out, is, yeah, yeah. is, a, is a warm and, and inclusive and welcoming community? That's yeah, quite they, they, they absolutely are. Um, they really, I mean, you've got to look at the game fair and the amount of people that I know uh, at that industry event I get pulled from pillar to post to have a beer with this person, that person, and catch up. How have I been? What's going on? Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt we're an inclusive industry. No doubt in my mind we're an inclusive industry. Um, I think that we need to encourage more people um, of, of an ethnic background to be a part of the industry. Um, and we'll be surprised by how many people out there that want to get involved, that don't because they're worried. But probably drink in your local pub. So any of the listeners out there that have that guy that drinks in the local, or girl that drinks in the local pub, that is a, wants to have that conversation, but you haven't yet included him, include him because you never know. It could surprise you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. always love, I'll tell you this. I, I, this to me was so heartwarming. I was sitting in the office one Friday afternoon and I got a phone call from a, from a farmer uh, down in the West Country. And he said, uh, is this shooting times? I said, yes, this is shooting times. He said, you're sending a boy down to write an article on us this weekend. I said, yes, here we are. And he said, I just want to say, there's a chap down here and he likes to wear a dress on shoot days, but I don't want your writer to make him feel any different. <laughs> I looked across the office and I said, uh, right, well, I'll pass the message on. So I put the phone on mute. I said, listen, there's a, there's a, there's a bloke on this shoot. He likes to wear a dress and you're not to make him feel any different. 
And this young uh, staff writer looked up at me. He said, you know, not not problem. Right, you are. And uh, the following Monday, he came in. And I said, "How was it?" And he said, "Well, it was exactly as uh, as as you know, as you said it was going to be." So there was this guy there in a dress with nail varnish and whatever. Uh, and apparently, it was a very good shot. But it's just it's just a funny <laughs> it's a funny thing. I think sometimes you know, you know, the countryside and shooting can be a lot more welcoming uh, than 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 people perhaps like to to think. It's really yeah. Sort of- I think there is. You're right. There's a perception, right? Crusty old men. Did we say at the beginning of this? So you know, there is a perception, and I think we should start breaking down those barriers now. It's 2023. Um, it's a hugely inclusive um, industry. I feel welcomed everywhere I go. I've not had a single um, issue, problem, comment or anything like that in my entire time that I've um, been in the industry and uh, even more so now than ever before. So, And we include everyone, uh, like you just said, even the guy that likes to shoot in a dress. Do you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd have a go myself, actually. But <laughs> it, might, it might be a good, uh, good experience. Yeah, it's yeah, sort of good for, good for swinging through those long birds. Um, I just wanted to ask a question that I'm sure you've been asked like a thousand times, but it's quite warm at the moment still. We are, well, the pheasant season started already. How long should you hang? Uh, no, 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 no. Look, this is, I love this question and I cannot stress enough. I had a guy, uh, I was on stage a couple of years ago now at the game fair and uh, someone asked this very question. I said, you shouldn't hang birds. And then someone piped up with going, well, I, I think you should. And you should hang them for at least 10 days. And I say, right, that's preference. Absolutely. You know, you, it's everyone's, everyone has a different taste. If you want to really include people um, in eating and eating, getting wild meat, game, whatever, if you want them to eat more, we need to be sensible about the situation. So we don't hang turkeys. We don't hang chicken. Okay, so let's stop hanging pheasant. Fresh birds are fantastic. Fresh pheasant is fantastic. It, it is a it is a lighter flavour, and um, we all know that. And and that works for the people who are new to eating game. Um, and a classic example of that is, is shooting with Simon Simon Garnham um, a, a, a few months ago, and his daughter uh, was going out to the cinema. A friend came over. I'd cooked breakfast. It was. 10 a.m. in the morning they're all pumped to go out and watch i don't know the latest movie and i said would you like to stay for breakfast she said, well, what are we having and i went just take a plate sit down and try and she did and she ate it and she said this is amazing um because she could visually relate to what was on the plate and then she ate it and said well it's absolutely fantastic and there was no gaminess it was a really well-balanced, lovely, fresh flavour of meat, just just a, a good quality flavour. And that's because we didn't hang the birds. We ate them fresh there and there. And I think yeah. that's what a lot of people, if you want to start changing your, your I don't know, your mums, dads, aunties, uncles, anyone who else in the family, we all have them in the industry, people who we um, live with or, or not live with, who we know we eat game all the time and, and they don't try them on fresh birds because it's it's a world apart it really is um so no to your answer patrick don't hang game eat it as fresh as you can you know come on i don't want to see chickens outside of the local butcher in the next few weeks so um my my final question i just wanted to ask was i always remember being about 14 15 years old maybe and talking to uh, a friend's father about game and he said to me that for decades they'd said to the gamekeeper that you keep the game as like a perk of the job and you sell it to the game dealer and you can you know 
And he said at the beginning, this was like really generous. The gamekeeper was really doing quite well out of this. And he said, yeah, about 2012, 2013, the gamekeeper turned around to him and said, look, this is still really kind, but they're actually charging me now to take, to take the game away. Um, what, like, where did we go wrong or, or what, what changed? That's, it's quite a hard one. There's so many factors involved. Um, I, I would blame convenience food shopping personally. Um, my personal opinion is, you know, certainly when I was at that age, um, my granddad, my mother, you know, my, my nan, they all shop at butchers and, and, and veg shops and, and bakeries and, and go down to local dairy. We're now walking into Tesco's and Waitrose and Sainsbury's and buying convenience food really, really quickly. Um, so that, lessened the amount of game that we're selling i guess because you know let's be honest we've we've all seen the pictures of the the butchers full of, of pheasants and rabbits and partridges all hanging outside and we used to eat so much of it back in the day and you know everyone you know you can talk to anyone of the older generation say oh we always used to have partridge we always used to have pheasant and um and, and that's because it was so accessible back then so my, my question to you would be you're doing a great job at the british game assurance but are you actually as the proverb goes pissing in the wind because there's just far too much game being put down and far too much game being shot. I mean, is it a sort of supply and demand? There's not. I mean, we, we, talk, we touched base on it. Sorry, we touched base on it um, before we started this. You know, I'm going to throw out, everyone loves a figure. Here's some figures for you. Um, apparently, and we don't know because it's down to the game dealers to really, you know, do their own census and, and tell everyone what they are. But they are processing 20 million uh, game birds a season. Um, I reckon we put down about 50 million game birds um, a season. Five zero. Yeah, five zero. Yeah. So yeah. the 33% rule, we lose to, you know, the 33% that we shoot and we lose to, to different things. We're eating or we, we process 20 million game birds. To put that in perspective, we slaughter 1.1 billion chickens in the UK a year. So we're eating 23 million chickens a week in the, mm. in, in the UK. This is just UK facts. So let's be, let's be realistic. No, we're not pissing in the wind. We need the British public to step up and back British game. Um, mm. and, 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 that's, and that's basically it. Um, and we wouldn't have a problem. In fact, I, I would say if we really support, if the industry got behind not just the BGA, but every campaign, everyone that's eating and trying to support and sell more wild meat and game in the industry, we would probably get to a point where you would find a new enterprise of people opening up trying to rear pheasants uh, and farm pheasants because we would, you know, because it's such a great meat that, uh, you know, we, we would want more of them in here in the UK. So, um, no, I think I think we're not. I think that we're, we're going to keep going and success is so, so close. Oh, and, really? it takes, and just to tip the balance, it only takes a couple of really big conglomerate businesses here in the UK within catering to change the dial. You know, yeah. we, 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 we yeah. talked about it a little while now. We've got the MOD. That, that's a deal that, you know, I put together and orchestrated myself um, many years ago when, when the BGA first started. And they do, they do a, a volume on game, head to game going into the business. Uh, and I've got, uh, yeah, again, I can't talk about it because, you know, we haven't got the right communication signed off yet. But I've got other things lined up now, which are so, so exciting that we're going to be able to see on, I would call the day-to-day -day, um, sort of television uh, type things that, that the people will see um, with more people eating games. So, yeah.
I just wanted to, to end with, you know, lately I've been talking to lots of people across the country about various different issues to do with land access. And yeah. there's an idea that you get two sorts of people, those who like shooting and those who just don't like the idea of killing animals at all. And I have to say, I actually really disagree with that. What I hear time and time again from people who are critical of field sports across the country is, is the line. They don't even take the birds with them. They just shoot them for fun. And I mean, we all know that's not true, right? But we also all know that there isn't a huge market sometimes for, for, for what it is we're shooting or that market hasn't been realized. And I think, Leon, you, know, you are on the front line of proving those people wrong. You know, you're on the front line of us getting to a situation where we can turn around and say, actually, you know what, that isn't the case. Um, so I think that's really, really important. You know, the time is uh, the time is really here to to ensure that as many people are eating game as possible, and and to ensure that the market is as big as possible for game. Oh, I couldn't agree more. No, it really is. Thanks, Leon, for coming on. This time tomorrow, the episode comes out, and the latest copy of Shooting Times hits the shelves. Thank you very much to all the listeners. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.